0: You and I cannot be ambassadors. We will not be reconcilers. We cannot do this. Apart from God first sending his son, coming to be the appeal of God, not with power and might, but humility and sacrifice, coming to lay his life down to say, in this you will know love, if you love one another as I have loved you. And because of this, When we stumble and when we fail, when loving our neighbor as ourselves, when being the ambassadors we've been made to be is hard, we fall back to the cross and say, God, I can't do this, but you, you became sin for me that I could be your righteousness. Another big fancy word, which just quite honestly means being right, holy, and good, we are all of the goodness of god for the sake of this world and when we do it imperfectly he forgives us and loves us still
1: hi this is chris from the point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions you may not be sure what you believe about god jesus faith or the bible and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. We are in
0: this series called What's the Point? And I have to ask, what's the point of your life? Have you ever wondered why you're here or what you should be doing or why the things you're doing matter or if they matter? There is something in our core, the way we were created, that every one of us desires for the work that we do to be meaningful and sometimes each day can feel redundant. We're doing what we did yesterday, and the work perhaps we're doing can feel maybe like it's not actually adding any value to the world around us, and at times we can feel so overwhelmed with what's right in front of us. So what's the point? Does it even matter? Is it making a difference? Is it worth doing? Well here at the point at this church we believe that every one of us shares in a great purpose a purpose given by God and we express that purpose in what we call our mission as a church here's what it is we as a church body one of many congregations in Knoxville we exist to connect the disconnected to a growing and reproducing relationship with Jesus that's it If you're looking for purpose in your life, if you're looking for meaning in your work, that's it. You say, well, that sounds really simple. Or maybe you're like, that's great, but I have no idea what that means. Let me help you. We exist to connect the disconnected. You see, the truth is every one of us is born sinful. In our DNA, we are wired to do things against God, to do things against our neighbor, and even things against ourselves, things that hurt and bring brokenness, and bring pain. And because we are broken people, I often say, hurt people hurt people. And our natural desire and inclination, even if we don't want to, is to cause hurt to others. And this is because way back in the very beginning, Adam and Eve did what they were not supposed to do, and they sinned. And when they sinned, it broke everything, all of creation, And so every one of us in some way is disconnected from God. Some of us have spent years intentionally running from Him. Some of us have tried to seek Him and He seems silent. Where are you, God? Some of us have been faithfully doing our best to walk with Him day in and day out, and yet we find ourselves still living lives of sin we don't know how to shake. And maybe because of our faith we're even embarrassed to admit these are my weaknesses and my struggles and so sometimes we feel the need to put on a face and act like we've got it all together. Which is really just being dishonest to everybody including God. And so every one of us is in some way disconnected and yet Jesus has freely welcomed us back. Jesus has invited you and me wherever you are, wherever you've been even wherever you will be to be welcomed into his arms of love. And so to be connecting the disconnected is to see that our life is continuously about helping those around us, including ourselves, walk with God, discover his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Connecting this disconnected is recognizing that every person you meet today has something in their life that's not quite okay. And you have an opportunity to bring hope, or to bring strength, or peace, or comfort into that place of struggle they're walking with. So we exist to connect the disconnected, but it's not just aimlessly connecting them at something or, or at anything. It's not connecting them with Sunday morning, or our live stream, or connecting them with our events, or our programs, or with myself, or Adam, or Emily. No, it's not any of that. To connect the disconnected is to connect them to Jesus, specifically a growing and reproducing relationship with Jesus. Anybody in here have a significant other, somebody you kind of like? Only a few of you, okay. We'll do some marriage stuff next, I guess. All right, if you don't have that person but you have a family member or a friend or somebody you really care about, how many of those relationships really thrive when you spend just a few minutes a week saying hello and then leaving? Few of them. See, Jesus is not just an abstract idea. He's not just an invitation to believe in something 2,000 years old. No, Jesus is real and he's personal and he loves and he cares. And so to have a relationship, to be connected with him, is to learn each day to walk with him. Walking with Jesus is not much different than walking with others. When you and I spend time hanging out, there's a truth that's going to happen. Either you're going to become more like me, or I'm going to become more like you, or we're both gonna become more like the other, and either way, we are changed. If you don't believe me, take a look at couples who've been married like 50 or 60 years. Have you ever seen these couples? They can like look at each other and have an entire conversation without saying anything, and maybe the only thing that comes out is, yep, And you're like, what just happened? And not only that, their mannerisms are very similar and the things they do talk about are very much the same. And you can talk to one and it sounds like and feels like you're talking to the other. The the truth is when we live intimately with another, we will become like them. And so to be connected to Jesus is to learn to walk with him. And as you're walking with him, to begin to become like him. And if you become like him, you're going to start doing the things he does. You're going to begin to see the world the way he sees it and love the way he loves and begin to give yourself to others in the same way he has given himself to you. And so your relationship with him should grow day by day and week after week and year after year. Now that doesn't mean that it's always getting better. Sometimes you may feel further from him and closer to him because in every relationship we have our hurts and our habits and our hangups and these things that are stumbling blocks that actually bring great hindrance to our relationship. And a good relationship doesn't just accept those things that are pulling you away. but says how do we begin to focus energy and effort on these things that we can grow together even through them? And so we believe that being connected is to be connected to Jesus in a relationship that's constantly growing and in turn reproducing. See, it's reproducing because there are people around you to your left and to your right and behind you and in front of you and people in your neighborhood, maybe your house, your workplace, people who don't know how much they're loved. They feel like God is against them like the world is against them, the hurt that they're feeling is all they seem to know, and they need to be connected to Jesus, just like you and me. And so a reproducing relationship is one that says, I want the world to see this. I want the world to have this. I want this Jesus I believe in to transform my community to be something different. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he begins by spelling out some of the reality that this world is not our home. And he's not giving an escapist theology that's like, this world's not our home, so let it all go to hell, and we can just get out of here one day later. No, he says, this world's not our home. Heaven is our home, which means whatever this world may bring, we can endure. Whatever challenges we may face, God will face them with us. And we often think about heaven as our home and like this place we're going to one day, but for Paul and for the disciples and the apostles, heaven was not an eventual place we go to, but the promise of God coming to us and being in our midst here on this earth. So what would heaven look like in your household? Perhaps you'd eat dinner together. And talk to one another. Perhaps you would ask for forgiveness when you've wronged each other. Perhaps you'd take time to see how you can encourage one another. That's what heaven, God's presence with us, does here today. And so Paul, he begins by saying, look, the earth is not our home. Heaven is. The place where God dwells, that's our home. And whatever we endure, whatever struggles we face, it will be okay. And then he says this, beginning in chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Sometimes I hear the word persuade, and it feels a little bit like a used car salesman. Let me convince you of the thing I believe. How often do we try to persuade people to believe our opinions our facts and we get into fights and we divide friendships trying to persuade them to think or act or be like us? I think when Paul uses the word persuade here, he's not trying to talk somebody into believing in God. But there is a truth that some things are very, very attractive and some things are very desirable. To persuade people know Jesus is not to convince them we're right but to be so overwhelmingly different that Jesus simply is the right answer like imagine for just one moment if Christians in Knoxville let's not even think big let's just start small if Christians in Knoxville were so persuasively loving to those who are far off how might we live What might we do? What things may we focus on? What if we as a nation were so persuasively loving that we didn't need to fight about this or that or being right in this political persuasion or that one? Instead, we as Christians simply did our job of walking with Jesus and becoming like him and letting him do the rest. Paul, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. You see, there is a struggle then as there is now to put on an outward appearance and act like you have it all together. And there was certainly a group of people surrounding them, whether they were pagan or Jewish or something else, who thought as long as your life looks right, it must be right. And this persuasion to say, just put on a mask and act better and fix your mess, still lingers today. Paul, he says, look, let's not be convinced by those who say it's all about what happens on the outside. Let's instead focus what's happening here. Let me ask you, what's happening in your heart? When you gather, when we're here, when you pursue Jesus, is it so that other people see how great you are? So that you have more ammunition to tell other people how wrong they are? Or is it because he is our solid rock, our firm foundation, the one who would give everything for you and me? Paul, he says, look, I want you to be able to boast about us. And we often see boasting as as bad, right? Because pride is bad. But there's a kind of boasting that can be really good. A confidence that is secure in another can be a good kind of boast. Like for him to say you can boast in us is not we are worthy of pride, but rather we can give you confidence that this message is true. We can give you confidence that this purpose is good, We can give you confidence so that when others come confidently telling you something different, you have something to fall back on and say, no, I'm not going to focus on what's exterior, but what's in the heart. Then he continues. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. I like that. Paul's like, look, if we're kind of crazy and nuts, it's because God made us that way. But if we seem to be sane and logical, it's because you need us to be. Like, it's okay to be Christian and still be kind of nuts. Did you know that? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says, look, we've concluded that if Christ's death would be for everybody, all of our lives have one purpose, to die to ourselves and to live for him. To live not for our gain and our good, but for the sake of him, what he has done, and this good news the world desperately needs to hear. He continues, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, Paul often uses the flesh to describe our sinful earthly reality. He's not talking about our bodies like we're all just spirits that are temporarily trapped, but rather we regard no one according to the flesh. The things they've done, the mistakes they've made, the struggles they still walk in, that's not what we use to determine who's worthy of this good news. That's not what we use to determine who should be loved or not loved. No, we regard no one according to the flesh. The old or therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. See, oftentimes the reason why finding purpose in life can be difficult for me, is I know all the stumbling blocks that maybe disqualify me. I know more than anybody else all the reasons why I should not be qualified to stand here today and share with you this good news. Why I am not qualified to tell you about what he's done. There's a whole long list of my own broken, sinful truths that I don't want people knowing. And it's tempting to be filled with shame and regret or confusion and doubt in such a way that we allow ourselves to be disqualified from the work God is doing. Say, I, couldn't, I certainly couldn't tell my kids about Jesus because they may look at me and see all of my sinfulness. If I tell them about a new and better way of living than the one I live, they're going to look at me and say, you're a hypocrite because you used to do these things. Yeah, well, if you used to do something really bad and now you're doing something good, I hope you would change your ways. That sounds good says look the old has gone and the new has come for you and me to find our purpose in life it has to begin with this you are not who you used to be period and better yet you will not be who you are today because there's something better coming The more you and I walk with Jesus and become like him, the more who we used to be falls away and we say, that's not who I want to be today. And we can begin to intentionally become somebody different, a whole new creation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a really big, fancy word, reconciliation. So let me make it super simple. One of the definitions I found I just loved, reconciliation is restoring broken friendships. Hmm. You and I have been reconciled. Our broken friendship with God has been restored. Our broken friendship with his perfect love and grace and kindness has been restored that now God looks at you And he calls you his friend. He calls you his son and his daughter. And then he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. You and I are to be about restoring broken friendships. Imagine if that's what we lived for. If every time you went to the grocery store, You were looking for an opportunity. Where is somebody who needs restoration? How can I speak that over them today? Maybe as simple as not being angry when there's a line and instead saying, hey, I get it. You're working hard. Thank you. I appreciate it. It may be a little bit more complicated. Maybe when you go to the grocery store, there's an opportunity to talk to somebody who you live near and you're like, I've been trying to avoid them and here I am, I have to talk to them. And you should actually take time to apologize for the ways you've been trying to avoid them. Right there in the grocery store. Wouldn't that be great? If you're picking up some milk and somebody's like, hey, I've actually been trying to avoid you because I really don't like you and that's wrong. Will you forgive me? He's so weird, right? People would certainly think we as Christians are crazy if that's how we lived. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. What about with your boss at work? who continues to treat you poorly? How do you restore that relationship well? How do you live as an employee who's faithful every day, even perhaps to a tyrant, so that in your faithfulness they can see there is a God who truly has made you new? We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Have you ever thought about that? The God of the universe who spoke all things into being has one plan, and his only plan is for you and I to be the bearers of good news to a world that needs to hear it. Yeah, I know angels can show up and people can have dreams. But you know what happens more often than not? God has given you this promise and told you to share it. And if we don't share this good news, who will? If we don't seek to be restorers of broken friendships, who will? God has entrusted the most important thing in the world to you and me. Go and share it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that Paul chooses this word ambassador. See, an ambassador doesn't just sit in their house and send lovely messages. Doesn't just sit back passively and say, when they're ready, they will come to me. No, an ambassador is one who is sent out on behalf of another, sent out to speak the truth of another, the persuasion and the perspective of another, sent out to be the other for the one they're sent to. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. You have been sent by God maybe to your neighborhood or to your household or to your workplace, or the grocery store, or the coffee shop, or the bar, or wherever you go, you represent Jesus. And in the way you seek to restore broken friendships, we make an appeal to the world around us. But sometimes we don't. I'm guilty, sometimes of forgetting all of this of getting so caught up in the moment that I just get impatient that there's a line and I don't want to wait. I get angry because you seem to be an idiot and I know the truth is I'm the one who has a problem, but I take it out on you. Sometimes I forget that I represent Jesus in everything I say and do. This is why we as a church gather all the time. Because in order to connect the disconnected to a growing and reproducing relationship, we need to be reminded of the ways that we're still not yet who we want to be. Of the ways that we still have room to improve as we represent Jesus to the community around us. As we're his ambassadors restoring broken friendships. We need to be reminded that we cannot on our own do this work in fact here's what comes at the very end of this for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god Look, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin you and i cannot be ambassadors we will not be reconcilers we cannot do this apart from god first sending his son Coming to be the appeal of God, not with power and might, but humility and sacrifice. Coming to lay his life down to say, in this, you will know love. If you love one another as I have loved you. And because of this, when we stumble and when we fail, when loving our neighbor as ourselves, when being the ambassadors we've been made to be is hard we fall back to the cross and say, God, I can't do this. But you, you became sin for me that I could be your righteousness. Another big fancy word, which just quite honestly means being right, holy, and good. We are all of the goodness of God for the sake of this world. And when we do it imperfectly, he forgives us and loves us still. There's another really powerful and wonderful truth to this very end. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Far too often our appeal as ambassadors becomes let me tell you your sin and your brokenness. And yet, that's not how Jesus came. He came instead knowing fully all of our sin with grace and mercy and love. He came to heal those who were hurting, to set free those who were enslaved. He came to bring life to those who were dead. And he invites us to do the same. Rather than look first upon their sin and say, if only they change these things, then I can share with them this good news. Rather than looking upon all their brokenness and saying, you're too much of a mess, somebody else needs to help restore that relationship. We get to become all things for them. We get to enter into their mess and their brokenness and be alongside them, not always having answers and certainly not always cleaning it up, but showing them the love of God through it all. And hopefully, at some point, like an ambassador, you will be given the opportunity to speak. Why do you love me even through this mess? Why do you forgive me when I continue hurting you? Why do you offer words of comfort in this crazy time? We can tell you, because we have a purpose that will never fade, that will always have meaning and value and always be at our fingertips ready to do, wherever you are and in whatever role you serve. It's my hope and my prayer that today as you go, tomorrow as you wake up wherever you are, that you will represent Jesus in a way that shows this world just how great he is and how much he loves. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we confess that we are broken and yet you use broken vessels like us. Imperfect people, you became sin and took on all of our flaws and all of our brokenness and bore it on the cross that we could live as Your righteousness. Make us today pure and holy right before You. May we be restorers of friendships, connecting people to You, walking with You and becoming like You and doing all the things You did that through us, our neighbors and our families and our coworkers, our community, our city, our state, God, that through us, this world would know that You have restored all things. You've reconciled us to God and we are yours forevermore. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning we get to do something we don't do very often and it's something I have a mutual love-hate for. We get to say goodbye to a few people. Have you, have you ever seen a church that takes time to like get rid of people on purpose? I'm going to invite you up. I think four of you were able to be here today. Uh, we have three from college. You, you guys can come on up. Keely, come on up as well. We also have Alan. I don't think Deborah was able to join us if she's here. I don't see her. So we have four of five who are in the process of leaving us. And this is a good thing. Not because I want to get rid of them. Not because I don't like them. If I can just have you guys stand right here. someplace between the black tape so people on live stream can join as well. Perfect. So Keely and Josie and Kristen are leaving because they're graduating. They moved to Knoxville. Yeah, you can celebrate. That's awesome. They moved to Knoxville for school, and now that season of their life is complete, and they're now moving in the next month or so uh, back home and back to future jobs and kind of to the unknown of what does this next season hold? And we could be tempted to just let them go off into the night and forget about them. We won't. We can't. We could be tempted to not say anything. But I believe that if we are ambassadors of Christ, then sometimes we're called to actually leave the place we're at. And we're called to go someplace new. And it's worth celebrating that you three, having been with us for this season, are going someplace new. And it's worth reminding you, you will always be loved and welcomed in this place And if God ever brings you back to Knoxville, we pray he brings you back here. Um, If he doesn't, we pray that he continues to bless you in all that you're doing wherever you go. And now Alan did not graduate from college. Not recently at least, I don't know, right? Let me clarify. Recently. But we don't just believe that God calls us to move to new cities. There are times in our life when we are called to different places to serve in different ways. And so Deborah Lee, who used to play piano but couldn't be here today, and Alan, uh, both in this season of life are feeling led by God to be at other congregations and other churches. Alan is leading the uh, worship music at Chris's Victor. He's been serving there and here for almost three years now, uh, four maybe. He's been kind of doing double duty, and he feels like to give them everything God's, putting in him, he needs to focus full time on being there in this coming season. And Deborah is pouring into her grandchildren and going to the the church where they're at because it's easier to go with them than to try to convince them to come here. She feels in this upcoming season, it's important to really focus on blessing her grandchildren that they can walk with Jesus too. And you know what? I love every one of you and I hope you never leave, but I look forward to when you do. And the reason for that is, is whether you're going to a new city or to an unknown, what's the next adventure in life, or to a church just down the street, wherever you're going, you are going as a part of this body, the body, the body of Christ. And we want to bless you and encourage you in that endeavor because it still matters whether you're here or whether you're there. So with all that talking, I'm now going to shift to prayer. That's okay. Will you guys join me? In Scripture, they often, when they bless somebody to go out, they would lay their hands upon them um, like a conferring of of power and authority and even community. We're still with you wherever you go. I'm not going to have you all come up and lay hands, but if you'll just join me and stretch out your hands and close your eyes, and as you're praying, pray this blessing along with me, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent Abraham... Out of his land to an unknown land, you would show him. God, you sent Moses back to Egypt to rescue and redeem your people, though he was scared and he was afraid. You sent Samuel to David to call the young shepherd boy to be your king. God, you sent your son into this world to come and to bear our sin, to be our sin, that we could be your righteousness. God, we thank you that He sent His servants, the disciples, the apostles, sent them out to go and share this good news. And likewise, Lord, you have called these five. You've called them to go and to speak this good news. We pray for these three that are graduating in the unknowns of what's next as they figure out where you're leading and what this schooling is for and what to do from here. We ask for your peace for your guidance, that you would open doors for them to do even things they aren't yet prepared for or expecting, that you would surround them with love and community to know that wherever they go, you go with them. Your church goes alongside them in support of them and encouragement as they walk with you. And God, we pray for Alan and Deborah as they are being led to other congregations. Would you use their gifts to bless these people God, to build your church and your kingdom, would you fill them with wisdom to know what to do and when to do it and even what things not to do? And God, may you remind them of your love that in all places, in all churches, in all congregations, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We thank you for these five. We thank you that you're sending them out. May they be your ambassadors, emboldened to live a life that shows others just how good you are. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you guys would like to talk to them a little bit, like maybe you don't know what they studied or you've never met them, or maybe you know them and you're gonna really miss them, or you know Alan and you're like, hey, congratulations on not going to school right now, but instead to this other church, if you would like, they're gonna be around for a little bit after the service, I'm presuming, and uh, you're welcome to talk to them. Stop and say hello and give them your blessing as well. Thank you so much, and we love you guys. As we continue our worship together, we're going to collect an offering. We believe in this place that our finances are an opportunity to partner with the work that God is doing. To say, God, I believe that through this congregation and the people here, you are working in this city to love and to make an appeal for this good news. And so if you want to partner with us today through this offering, and you came prepared to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back as you exit, If you filled out one of those physical connect cards with a way we can pray with you, you can put those in those buckets as well. And if you're somebody like myself who lives in uh, the 21st century who prefers electronic things, you can make a gift online at thepointknox.com by clicking the little button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this, we don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Adam, did you know that administration is a spiritual gift according to scripture? I did not know that. It is, it's in there. Do you know it's not one of my spiritual gifts?
2: Administration. Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. So for those of you who signed up for a connect group already in the last couple weeks, or signed up to host, if you haven't yet heard from me, don't worry, I did receive it. You will be hearing from me in the next two days, and we'll be, begin the process of getting you in those connect groups. If you haven't signed up, now would be a perfect time, because it's gonna be right on my mind to focus on getting you plugged into those groups. So make sure you sign up now, and I'll not forget to do that administration. You are forgiven. Thank you. I mean, it's like a spiritual gift, so I can't be blamed for not having it, right? No, maybe I can. All right, I'll work on it. Now, I get to do my part and respond to the questions you've asked. Uh, What questions came in today? I hope you're ready. There's a handful of really, really
2: good questions. Excellent. All right. First question. When I pray about the situation in the Ukraine, I ask God to stop the war and all the senseless brutality and killing all over the world, including our own community. But it seems like an impossible ask, since throughout history, God has allowed men, men's cruelty to others to continue. So how should I pray about this?
0: So I've mentioned before the classmate of my son's who has family in Ukraine, whose mom's from Ukraine. And uh, recently her teacher was talking to me and said, um, that one day she was in class and she was praying, God, would you stop Putin? But before that, she actually said, she said, God, would you change his heart or stop him? And I just I love that prayer. Like genuinely, we desire that those involved in war would have a change of heart, that they would encounter Jesus, that they would desire to put down their arms and say, that's not for us. And if they don't, we pray that God would stop them somehow, however that be. Um, So when it comes to this perpetual violence that we see in the world, the truth is it will persist until Jesus comes back. But our prayer that it ends should also, in part, move us to say, what is my part in ending this? How do I love and support those people that are helping directly stop this? How do I make changes in the way I live and treat people that can maybe help stop violence? How can I be a part of this? But ultimately, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because when he comes, all violence will end, and every tear will be wiped away.
2: Amen. Amen. Indeed. Uh, So these two questions from the same person, they kind of go together, so I'm going to read them together. It says, do Lutherans believe in the rapture? Please explain. And if you love the Lord with all of your might, what happens when you die? Do you go straight to judgment day? Do you go to be with the Lord immediately? Do the dead rest until he comes back for the, quote unquote, living and the dead?
0: Those are great questions.
2: Eschatology. Whoo!
0: I'm gonna give a brief answer now, and I'm gonna do a Point Leftovers because there's a lot in those two questions. So my brief answer is do Lutherans believe in the rapture? No. Uh, And I'll give you a little more answer of why we don't uh, in Point Leftovers. Um, The simplest thing is we believe that everything is already set, Jesus could come back tomorrow. He could have come back a 1,000 years ago. We don't know when he's coming. No one knows the hour, but we know he said, be ready and be watchful. And so we watch and we wait and we eagerly desire his return. In fact, that's how the Bible ends, with the prayer of the Holy Spirit and the church praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So no, we don't believe in the rapture, and I'll go more into why we don't in our point leftovers on social media later this week. Now, the second part, do we go immediately to, to be in God's presence when we die, or do we, was there more to that? says, do we go to be with the Lord immediately? Do the dead rest until he comes back for the living and the dead? The answer to that is, we don't know. Uh, There's scripture that seems to indicate that we're immediately in his presence, and there's scripture that seems to indicate that we rest, and we're at rest from our labors. Uh, Martin Luther wrote about that rest and described it as, we're no longer at war against the devil for the sake of faith, but we're at peace until he comes. So I don't know what happens. The Bible doesn't give us very clear specifics on the moment between death and the resurrection, but it does tell us what the resurrection will be like. We will have real bodies, physical bodies that can be hugged and touched and and physical bodies that we can go and do fun physical things like climb trees and things and it will be here on this earth. This earth is not disappearing. God will restore and recreate all of it and it will be without sin. Now, it talks about being without hunger and being without tears and being without pain. I can imagine what it's like to be without sickness and hunger and pain and all those things. I cannot imagine what it will be like when we have those bodies and are without sin. But it'll be truly wonderful to never again be plagued by that.
2: Next question, it says, what should we do if we have attempted reconciliation and it is rejected by the other party?
0: Yeah. Uh, If we attempt reconciliation, well, the trick is we keep attempting. And I don't mean we have to chase people who don't want to be loved, but what I mean is we never reject the opportunity to love them. And so let me give you an example. There are people who sometimes, in their hurt and their wounding, will want to remind you of how much you've hurt them, but will never actually want you to love them. And so when they remind you, you don't have to beg and grovel and say, please let me back in your life and let me be. No, instead, what you can do is say, hey, I love you and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? If you'd like, can we maybe talk more about it? Can can we spend some time together to begin to restore? And if they have no interest in that, you've done your part. And if an opportunity comes up later where you think of that person or you're reminded of that situation, you could reach out and say, hey, I, I hope you're doing well today. And if they're not interested, so be it. You have done your part. Now, there's no measure of like you have to do your part six times and then you're done. Part of being ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ, is that we perpetually are in this place of always having to keep doing our part, whether or not it's rejected by them. And when it's rejected by them, remember he too was first rejected, and so we're in good company if we're rejected by people we're trying to love.
2: How do we live out the ministry of reconciliation on a larger scale tangibly for relationships broken by things like racism and sexism and homophobia
0: oh yes uh, there's some some issues that are personal and direct and one-on-one where you have wronged me and that seeks reconciliation there are other things that are really large that are the collective sin of a society and how do we address that I think we live that out by um, first seeking to learn and to listen and to understand I think you said this in a sermon once that we uh, I listened. I'll take credit Surpre- if it's good, but yeah. yeah uh, I think you said something that we often seek to listen to be understood, not to understand. Like we want people to understand us, but we don't often listen to understand them. And, and so part of these big issues like homosexuality and homophobia and racism and sexism, we need to just admit we don't know all that we don't know. And let's start by learning and, and seek and say, can I, can I see, hear from you what your experience and your perspective and your life has been like? Now, we don't have to agree with their perspective because we may see the same situation and go, I actually think it happened differently. It doesn't matter. Their perspective is their reality, so we just need to learn to love. And how do we walk through the hurt that they're feeling without needing to convince them that we're right or we have the answers? That's where I think we start. And then there's obviously bigger things, like if there's systemic racism or problems of injustice, maybe we need to actually begin to try to compel uh, people who make laws to change the laws or people who administer programs to change the programs. Like That's activism, and that's a little different, but it's an important part of some of these things. So we start by understanding or seeking to understand, and then we from there may find avenues of what do we do with it to begin to be a part of the solution.
2: I stole the quote from someone else, but it's, we often speak to be interesting and not interested.
0: Okay, so I was close, but not close. close. Apparently I only kind of listen, (laughs) forgive me.
2: All right, next question, this is a long one. So The word Christian scares me to death, and honestly, I usually run from it. I've seen things and felt things that have been devastating from so-called Christians. I identify as a Christ follower, and just for me, my prayer is that people learn to respect and love and want to be around people who identify as Christians. How do we become more like Jesus and accept people where they are instead of being judgmental? Christianity cannot work unless people see something in us that they want. Mm -hmm. When can I not be afraid of Christians?
0: I don't know. But hopefully, the more you're around this body, we can be a source of healing and restoration of friendship. Uh, The word Christian quite literally means little Christ. Uh, This week, I was at a conference in Bowling Green, Kentucky, a wildly exciting place, let me tell you, Um, for a wildly exciting conference that was strong-armed, encouraged I be at, not necessarily where I wanted to spend three days. And we were talking about the early first 500 years of the church. Wildly exciting, right? Sometimes. But one of the things that was really cool is we read some uh, direct transcripts of interactions between some of the government leaders and some of the Christians. And the government leaders at the time were not always friendly to Christians and wanted to persecute Christians. And simply saying you were a Christian was enough to be killed. And so we read some of the transactions where they're back and forth like, hey, it's not too late. If you want to change your mind, like, I'll give you time for that. Like, no, I'm a Christian. Like, how about I give you 30 days to consider it, and then we'll reevaluate Like, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And then, like, well, you know, if you're a Christian, like, I'm going to have to take off your head. And like, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's okay. Like, when we say that we're Christian today, that's not what we're doing. We're not declaring I am a little Christ, like representing him in every way. We should be saying that. But unfortunately, I am a Christian today can at times be used as a means to Distinguish that I'm better than you or that you're wrong or all these wrong and sinful things. So if you don't like the term Christian, it's okay. Be like Jesus. Now I would say maybe we can reclaim Christian. Say, so no, you hear Christian to mean that, but let me show you what a Christian really is. In fact, I think the best witness you can have is tell somebody you're a Christian and then don't be a jerk. It's amazing how that works, right? right
2: a novel idea. It says, in the Bible, there are a few stories like the judgments in Egypt and when the Israelites are entering the promised land where babies are killed by or for the sake of God. Why? Doesn't Scripture also say that sons shouldn't be held accountable for the sins of their fathers? How can we make peace with that? You're getting some good ones today. Wow.
0: (laughs) Um... How do we make peace with the fact that God at times killed babies or even instructed his people to kill babies? Not easily, all right? So we shouldn't just dismiss that it's uncomfortable, um, that it's challenging. We often in our culture today have this attitude that says babies are perfect and innocent. That's not the truth of scripture. We are all born deserving judgment. So every one of us from the time we took a first breath deserves death, so perhaps the question is why would God kill these babies who deserve to die? Or perhaps the question is why would God spare some of us with his grace? Why would he not destroy all of us when that's what we deserve? Even more so, why would he send his son to take our place to suffer and die on our behalf? That question has a very different weight. Um, and then there, I think there's like a second part of this. wasn't, Or is it just...
2: Uh, judgments in Egypt, doesn't scripture say the son shouldn't be held accountable? Oh, for son.
0: Um, There's also a truth that in Christ, there is freedom. And so your parents' sin will affect you. We know this to be true when we talk about how the cycle of abuse continues, right? If you're from an abusive family, you're more likely to be abusive. And it's not because you're somebody who's like, you're a bad person because you come from abuse, but because that's what you've learned. And so the sins of the father are passed on to the next generation, but they don't have to be. In Jesus, you can break that cycle and say, I refuse to be abusive. I refuse to be an alcoholic. I refuse to do the things that have destroyed my family in the past. And I get to change the future of my family. And so, um, yes, the sins of the father are passed on, and also in Jesus, everything changes. So.
2: Uh, Still so one number. of the last times I was up here with you, I had on a plaid shirt yeah. and someone texted in, is there a lumberjack convention in town?
0: Now we're both wearing like blue Do shirts. you remember that? No. Yeah.
2: The one this morning says, is there a Mr. Clean convention in town?
0: <laughs> 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 uh, you guys are great.
2: The next time Emily wants to hand a mic over, I'm just going to give it back.
0: So. Yeah. Excellent. All
2: right. One last question. Uh, and this is, I think, one of the best ones in the morning. Were there dinosaurs on Noah's Ark?
0: Possibly. Oh, you want more? (laughs) There certainly could have been. I think there's a whole host of ways that we can reconcile our understanding of creation and our natural sciences. I don't think they're at odds, and I don't think they oppose, so it's certainly possible dinosaurs are on there. Like, I think alligators and chickens are technically considered dinosaurs, so were they on the art? Probably. I always love the meme that's the unicorn standing on an island, and it's like, oh, shoot, was that today? Right? (laughs) So that's it? Those are all the questions. What a relief. All right, well, one final thing for you before you go. For all of you who are moms, happy Mother's Day. We love you. We can't forget how important you are, moms. You're a really big deal, and we love you. And I know that there are some here who are moms who are like, my kids drive me nuts, mine included. There are some here who are moms Uh, who maybe haven't yet told people that they're moms, that they're expecting. And there are some here that are moms, but they've never gotten to hold their children in their hands because their children have died at some point in the past. And, And so I know that Mother's Day can be really sensitive and difficult also because some of us are here without our moms, and that hurts. So for those of you who are here as moms, hang in there. Keep up the good work. I promise we see it. For those of you who are here as moms with grief and the pain of loss or as, as individuals grieving your mother who's not here, hang in there. Christ is enough and he loves you even in this pain. Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace.
1: Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.